Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And the idea is not to demonise anyone, it's not to say doctors on the NHS are bad or functional medicine is bad. It's that they all have merit and they all can be utilised together. And integrating those approaches, functional medicine, doctors, dietitians, nutritionists, nutritional therapists, all these onto one platform is the idea of functional health. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi, where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. Functional medicine practitioners, nutritional therapists, nutritionists, dietitians, doctors of all different specialties all provide unique perspectives on patient-derived treatment protocols. And this is Ben's unique perspective on how a holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to optimal well-being. From his unique perspective of having both a formal qualification in nutrition, a degree in biomedical sciences, he has a deep appreciation for how we can work more collaboratively with the common goal of improving patient outcomes. We have an incredibly candid conversation about the controversies around what functional health or functional medicine actually means and how a united approach amongst professionals is necessary to change the landscape of healthcare. I think you're going to really like Ben's perspective on things. Like I said, he has a unique perspective being both a formally qualified nutritionist as well as someone who has a deep appreciation for lifestyle and functional medicine. He hosts his own functional medicine health podcast and is setting up a platform at functionalmedicineinfo.com to promote the integration of all health professionals. You can find the recipe video that I cooked for Ben, the crab, leek and pea pasta on my YouTube channel at thedoctorskitchen.com and you can see how delicious and easy it was to make even whilst recording a podcast. If you like this podcast, give us a five-star review. It really helps. But for now, on to our chat. Ben, it's such a pleasure having you here in the kitchen today. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen. Thank you very much for having me, man. No worries. Um, I'm really excited about this dish because this is something that I love to eat on like a Sunday. It's super quick, easy. Um, it's a leek and pea crab pasta mm -hmm. with watercress, lemon, chili, garlic, and we've got some gluten-free spaghetti. And I'm um, like, I eat everything, but 
This, for those who don't eat gluten, is probably one of the best pastas I've ever come across. It's genuine, it's by an Italian company. You would not guess it's gluten-free. Um, and I use like whole bean pastas as well sometimes to have a bit more fiber, a bit more protein content. Um, uh, and they're, they're just as satisfying as well. So yeah, a bit of a different texture as well. Exactly, yeah. So hopefully you're gonna agree that this is a healthy meal, but you can tell me about <laughs> that in a bit. We're gonna start off with um, some extra virgin olive oil in the pan with a little bit of garlic. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna throw in the pasta into the boiling water that I've got behind us, um, which is salted, a little bit of oil in it as well to make sure it doesn't clump together. Um, and we're going to bring it all together after I've cooked down the leeks and peas and everything. Sound good? Perfect. Sounds amazing. Good, man. All right. So tell us a bit about you because I've been on your podcast yes. and I absolutely, I love being on your podcast. And, you know, the, the, the reason why I agreed to, to, to go on and, and, you know, cause I don't think we hadn't really known each other that much, um, before I think we pass each other in like a BBC yeah, Good Food events. and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you're formally trained as a nutritionist, you're yeah. registered with the AFN and you have an appreciation for functional health as well, right? Yeah, functional medicine, functional health. yeah. So, so tell us a bit about your background, man. So how did you get into this? Like wh wh where did your journey start? Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about like my interest in nutrition and how that came about. I guess everyone has their like uh, background or a certain story to how yeah. they got interested in nutrition and kind of nutritional medicine. Uh -huh. Rupi, yours is very well known, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, I didn't really have like a condition. Mm -hmm. I was just an overweight child that wanted to change his body weight, right? Yeah. So at the age of 16, I started going to the gym uh -huh. and then got made friends with a few people who were interested in bodybuilding. Uh -huh. So my diet quickly shifted to try and lose weight. So okay. I was doing a diet which bodybuilders traditionally used to cut or like get leaner. I hear that all the time. Right. It's like cut, bulk, lean. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and a lot of bro science. Yeah, right? so like, <laughs> it's a bro Not science. really yeah. based on science, but it seems to work. So my diet ended up being like a really high protein diet. Uh -huh and vegetables, but it lacked essential fatty acids and carbohydrates uh -huh. and was, I was restricting calories as well. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. So what happened is I got leaner, uh -huh. I looked good, yeah. but felt awful, right? right? Cause okay. I was not taking in the fatty acids you need and yeah. carbohydrates just to function normally or yeah. optimally. Um, and then as I got into university, I realized I started falling asleep in class, even after a coffee, I was absolutely exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to increase my sports performance. Mm -hmm. So I added more carbohydrates into my diet, more fats as well. Yeah. And not only felt much better and performed better, but also improved my cognition, my ability to perform in class, etc. So it was, it was eating belt. more, sorry, sorry. It was so, eating more carbohydrates and, yeah. and, okay, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. it was the idea that I don't know why it never occurred to me before that my diet could change the way I looked, but also the way I think and the way I perform. Yes, yeah. Um, so I got interested in that and a lot of my friends... Um, what were you studying at university at the time? Biomedical science. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends or parents of friends started having these chronic illnesses and we were just chatting about them casually. Yeah. And I was interested in them, given my background, given what I was studying. So yeah. I started researching it. And it seemed like a lot of these conditions, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, yeah. can kind of be um, mitigated through diet and nutrition. Yeah. 
So I started with a performance element and like worrying about aesthetics yeah. and eventually got interested in like what nutrients can do and how it can change your body, yeah. how it can help treat certain conditions. Yeah, yeah. So I went on to study my master's in nutrition. Gotcha. Where did you study your master's? King's College of London. Nice. Yeah. Epic, man. That no, was really good. Yeah, yeah. Really so good. two degrees. Yes. Biomedical sciences and uh, nutrition masters. Yeah. And and how, how was that experience at King's? Like what... what what was sort of your journey then? Because were you still bodybuilding or were you still like doing performance nutrition or? Yeah, I, I um, power powerlifting was like my thing. I didn't okay. compete or anything like that, but I like given my, my stature, I'm quite yeah. short and stocky. So yeah, I like yeah. lifting weights. Yeah, and yeah. You've I've got, got a good a short... stature, you've got a good presence <laughs> about you, mate. Oh, that's good, yeah, thanks yeah. man. <laughs> But it's one of those things that I could just, it's a short distance of movement, right? Yeah. So I kind of benefited from that yeah. and capitalized on it. But I like a challenge. So when I got into university, um, I signed up for a half marathon and I'm not a runner by any means. Yeah. And kind of did that and um, was successful, completed. And then nice. afterwards, after my course, did um, a marathon, Brighton Marathon. Oh, nice. Right, so really changing it up. You know, I used to live in Brighton. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, Bright Mountain is awesome. I yeah, love it. It's, really it's, uh, it's such a, I mean, it's a gorgeous town, city. Um, the people are like very, very warm, welcoming. You get, you've got a really diverse community as well. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of like uh, sort of uh, health and environmentally conscious people I found um, just living down there. I don't know if you spent any time there, whether you just did the marathon, but. Yeah, I did the day before and like. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Try, tried to enjoy it a bit. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was my first time there, and yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, it really yeah. is. The coastline's amazing. Um, did you do the marathon? Did you say? No, I didn't do the marathon, but I, I did my general practice training there uh, okay. for three years. And so I used to live by the um, the hospital, right. uh, the Royal Sussex yeah. County. I did my pediatric tra uh, training there, um, my placements during GP and um, mental health units, you know, it's just a, a, a beautiful part of the world actually and it's only like an hour from London, so yeah. I feel like I'm on the Brighton Tourist Board here. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you did, so you did your half marathon, your full yeah. marathon. Yes, and um, continued, I kind of got interested in uh, functional medicine. I mean, everyone's heard this and I think people have mentioned it on your podcast previously and certainly mine, where like the current um, medical model is almost not emergency medicine it's not what i'm talking about but chronic yeah. illness yeah. is almost as treating a symptoms approach so you're putting a band-aid on a symptom um then you are treating the root cause of the problem and i got interested in what the root cause of that problem was mm -hmm. and that's i guess i found it naturally through nutrition right you realize that a diet which is high in processed foods and mm -hmm. um, processed fats, trans fats, for example, I know they're not really in our diet anymore, but we know they're, they're linked to heart disease quite strongly, um, and sugars as well. And then I came across plant foods and the protective compounds which are in there. I mean, if you take a blueberry, for example, and I always find this fascinating, it's like, yes, it's got vitamins and minerals in it, but it's also got a range of antioxidants and phytochemicals as well, especially a polyphenol called anthocyanidin. And these chemicals not only help to improve vascular function by, they, they basically act on an on a enzyme called nitric oxide synthase. Now the name isn't important, but helps to secrete nitric oxide and that helps the vascular function. So it improves vascular function and um, even in culinary doses. 
and I came across a slew of papers by uh, Dr. Anna Rodriguez Mateas, also at King's, and she was looking at how blueberries helped with brain function by increasing like blood flow to the brain and all, all things like this. So you've got protective elements in food, as well as food's ability to cause a lot of the problems that we see today in the, in the general population. I think she's lectured on my master's oh, course at the moment. Yeah, I think, Surrey? yeah, in Surrey, University of Surrey. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's her. She's got a quite a strong accent mm -hmm. um, yeah. from, from memory. Um, I'll have to double check that and link to some of her work, but I find that fascinating because that is very similar to how I, I got into it. I mean, bar my own medical issues and stuff and um, my realization of being able to help patients um, uh, to a better degree by taking a lifestyle and holistic approach, phytochemicals absolutely fascinated me. And it was that kind of research that borders on reductionism and too much emphasis on uh, in vivo and vitro studies and yes. mechanistic pathways. But I still find it absolutely fascinating. And I think it's because as a medic, we like to know uh, about cause and effect. We like to know about the pathogenesis or the the uh, mechanisms by which we can uh, all diseases are formed, but also how we can treat people as well. Yes. And um, pharmacology was always uh, a subject that I found pretty interesting myself. And the knowledge that food contains uh, an array of chemicals that can impact multitude of different pathways is just fascinating. And that's what sort of piqued my interest. Yeah. And I um, the thing that fascinated me most is like, the synergy between these foods and yeah. the synergy between these chemicals absolutely. have a greater health benefit than the sum of their parts. Yes. Meaning absolutely. that these foods eaten together have a greater health benefit than eating alone. Yeah. Um, and I found that amazing. And uh, when we look at nature, like almost nature knows best in some respects. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully I'm sort of painting the picture of uh, synergistic compounds here by adding lots of different <laughs> ingredients to your, your lunch here, mate. Yeah, well, so, it's a big advert for the diversity, yeah. right? Yeah, oh. just, to, just to go back to this recipe, I've just put in um, some leeks and peas, uh, the garlic that I sauteed for a couple of minutes before mm -hmm. to get a bit of color on there, um, extra virgin olive oil in that, the pasta that I'm keeping an eye on, uh, half an eye on over here. I always like to cook pasta uh, al dente. So that's essentially a minute or two less than what the packet instructions are. And the reason why is because this is gonna go into the pan mm -hmm. with the rest of the ingredients that are cooking away behind me. Um, and uh, it's gonna cook a little bit more. So you don't want, you, there's nothing worse than soggy overcooked pasta. Uh, it's honestly one of my pet peeves. And, and luckily, uh, you know, that doesn't happen often, but whilst I'm doing a podcast and trying to cook leeks at the same time, it might happen. So apologies if it does, but yeah. Don't worry, I'm not gonna hold you to it. <laughs> yeah. So culinary wise, it's interesting you, you noted that at culinary doses, you were, yeah, th there is evidence to suggest that the um, blueberries can have a, a, an important effect on vascular function. Yes. Was there anything else that you came across a, a, apart from berries? Yeah, I mean, apart from berries, I mean, there's n numerous different herbs and spices. You've written a lot about them in your book, yeah. Eat to Be Illness, right? And we know that turmeric has like a multitude of benefits, primarily because of its anti-inflammatory properties, right? Um, so you've got different elements as well. Berries though, and I'm gonna focus on berries for a second. Because yeah, I, I, I love I've actually it. got, um, I've read a paper recently and uh -huh. I think it was published in 2016. Uh -huh. uh, what was the journal? 
European Journal of Nutrition or something, I can't remember the title of the paper, but culinary doses of berries. Yeah. They measured like one cup of berries to two cups of berries to no cups of berries, so three different groups in children and see if it affected, so I think it was ages seven to 10, and see if it affected cognitive performance acutely. Okay. And what they found was ingestion of those berries increased cognitive performance within three hours. Oh, wow. So we know that, I mean, it was a, it was a small study, yeah, yeah. but it was as, still- as all these studies are. Yeah, yeah all right, because yeah. they're, they're so hard to perform. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, it makes, uh, I'm fascinated by it, basically. Absolutely. But then you've got things like turmeric, you've got allicin in garlic, which has got anti-inflammatory, anti but also antimicrobial properties, um, as well as quercetin and onions, you've got lycopene in tomatoes, which is good for your prostate health. Mm. And there's so many different things. Have you, um, there was a, an oncologist actually, actually, he's called Dr. Robert Thomas or Professor yeah. Robert Thomas. All oh, right, you're very familiar with him. He's great. He's yeah, he's fantastic. He's awesome. Yeah, so when I came across his work, you wrote a book about lifestyle and cancer. Yeah. Um, it was a few years back now. I think it was in 2011 or 2012. Mm. And some of the stuff I found in there, like um, a few servings of broccoli a day can lower prostate-specific antigen, which yeah. is the marker of prostate cancer, yeah. and actually reduce its progression as well. Yeah. I think it was quite a lot of servings. It might have been four servings a day over yeah. a certain period of time, <laughs> yeah. right? So quite hard to get in, but still it shows the power of food. You're right about the pasta. Yeah, yeah. It is absolutely delicious <laughs> yeah. though, but the pasta is really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful good, flavors and the chili really, yeah, spicing it up and the lemon as well. You get citrus notes. It's really good, good man. man. I'm glad. I'm really yeah. glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had someone who doesn't yet? Uh, no, I had a couple of guests that were like, the. I think I used walnuts and it was a little bit better. And they were like, oh, I could have done without the walnuts. And I was like, that's cool. That's actually good to know because instead of toasting walnuts that brings out a little bit of the bitter flavor i know now to kind of take turn that back a bit and just just go with raw walnuts that have a little bit more sweetness to it yeah um or just use some of a different nut like hazelnut which is a lot more palatable for a lot of people in fact that could have done with a little bit of nuts like a pine nut or hazelnut, yeah. just to add a little bit more texture to that so you've got like a varies levels of flavors as well as textures so yeah anyway i'm glad you like that no, thanks for having me <laughs>
And in order to do that, um, or in order for it to be respected, you have to promote the, these health professionals, right? And like show people what they do and their merit and their expertise. So that's an idea for the platform is to basically engage people, tell people that these other health professionals are out there so they can seek the advice that they need to hopefully tackle a condition, a certain health condition or disease um, with multiple modalities, yeah. not just one. And I really commend you on that collaborative effort because I think there's a lot that different camps can learn from each other. If you look at just the nutrition world, for example, mm. there's a lot of nutrition wars between paleo versus carnivore versus yeah. vegan versus Mediterranean. And actually you look at the Venn diagram of what the similarities are and it's about 70, 80% the same. It's eating whole foods, eating quality fats, eating mainly plants, eating um, low sugar and removing the junk. And it's no wonder each camp can actually claim or put a claim towards improving health conditions. Because if you just do those things, which all of them do anyway, you're going to have a, an improved outcome. And I think um, taking that sort of collaborative approach to the uh, professionals that right now seem to be very antagonistic towards each other yeah. uh, online, yeah. social media and all that kind of stuff yes. um, is something that uh, is very uh, commendable because I think you're in a difficult position if I'm honest. It, it's going to be a tough uphill struggle from what I've seen to try and get these people to talk to each other mm -hmm. and appreciate each other as well. Yes. Is exactly. that something that, that mirrors with what you're thinking is behind that? Or? Yeah, 100%. I think one of the things as well is communicating the science which is out there effectively to people so can people can make their own informed decision of what kind of diet they want to follow, what foods they want to eat. You're right when you're saying there's so many diets out there yeah, yeah. Um, and some of them are really diverse. You know, you look at Dr. Dean Ornish's program and he was trying to reverse heart disease and his diet is primarily 80% of your calories come from carbohydrates. Then you've got the ketogenic diet where 80% of your calories come from fatty acids, right? And equally say, it doesn't matter what your creed or genes are, it's the perfect diet and like everyone should be doing this. So that's, you know, the majority of people say that because they're evangelical about it. And these diets can be great for certain people, but it's not to say that everyone can benefit from them. And even when you look at, I know you had uh, Dr. Stephen Lynn on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually met him years ago when he came touring his book, The Dental Diet. Yeah. And uh, we spoke about the work of uh, Weston A. Price. Yeah. I think you're familiar with yeah, him. Yeah. So like, he, just for the listeners, he was really interested in the epidemiology of dental decay. And what he found, he visited 14 indigenous tribes across the world in different countries and found that each of them had a different diet, but each of them, but all of them had less than 50% of the dental decay of the Western population. And it was thought that because these tribes didn't have the Western medicine or Western dental care or modern dental care, they'd be riddled with um, tooth decay, it'd be extremely painful. And that was not the case at all. They had perfect teeth, they could fit all the wisdom teeth in the mouth, but they also, what Price found, had very little to no instances of cancer, heart disease, asthma, arthritis, many of the westernized conditions that we see today in our society. And what's interesting is they all had a different macronutrient profile. So each, some of them had um, very little plant foods and you know high meat, um, high meat and dairy. And but most of them, and as you said before, most of them were had a plant-based diet. But they had four basic principles. I think Price found is that all of them had some element of raw food, all made raw food. All of them, which is no surprise to anyone, their diet was based on whole. 
and natural and local foods. Um, no diet, surprisingly, was vegetarian and no diet was low fat. So that's really interesting. And I think it just shows that people are adapted to different diets or can adapt to different diets. And there's no one diet for everyone. Yeah. Do you know? And I think, you know, the adaptability of the human body to different diets is, mm -hmm. is quite pressing, right? So there was the, um, uh, a paper I recently came across because I was researching it for my master's in nutrition about how you swap uh, different diets, a Western diet versus a, a rural um, diet. So I think they use some South African volunteers and uh, uh, those from African origin living in uh, the USA. And they changed their microbiota completely over two-week dietary exchange, right? Yeah. So the fact that you can do that is pretty impressive. And, and, and it shows the adaptability of the human body to seemingly completely different diets and, mm -hmm. and what the outcomes could be. And it goes back to the same thing. If you just get rid of the junk, there's a lot <laughs> of the good things that can happen, yes. reducing the incidence of cancer, reducing the incidence of westernized diseases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's such an important point. Like one of the things these indigenous cultures didn't have was processed foods mm -hmm. or additives or any of the chemicals that we, uh, we, we have in our, in our uh, diets today, even the pesticides, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into that, pesticides, herbicides, yeah. larvicides, yeah. because it's like a whole area which I don't really know. It's not my expertise, mm -hmm. but they didn't have that either. Mm -hmm. So it might not just be they're eating whole foods, but they weren't subject to a lot of things that we are um, when we eat from the supermarket. Absolutely, yeah. I think the whole pesticide argument is something that's wrought with controversy because on one hand, you have people overstating the uh, potential negative effects of pesticides on our foods. But then I think we're also at risk of understating the potential harms of chemical agrochemicals mm -hmm. that uh, could be uh, at the root of, of a lot of issues that we see today. We've seen some sort of agricultural practices that have stung us in the past. Um, we have had some recent widely used chemicals uh, in, our, in our food, in our beauty products, etc., only recently being banned mm -hmm. um, and that's why even though I don't promote everyone going organic I feel that we have the ability to change our food landscape to one that is more pragmatic and one that would potentially potentially has um, uh, protective benefits um, one thing I would say is it's very hard um, to <sighs> to have this conversation without the correct data points and the, without the evidence base. And then you also don't want to be at risk of scaremongering people. Absolutely. Yes. But then also you don't want to be seen to be having doing harm because if in 10 years time, we figure out that, you know, if we all eat conventional produce for this, it actually had some detrimental impacts. You know, it's, it's a really difficult position to be in, in a position of influence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is incredibly difficult mm. because maybe the data isn't out there to mm. suggest that these are harmful. Mm. But it is important to note, because we mentioned it before, just before the podcast started, mm. that because there's a synergy between plant chemicals and the synergy of the different uh, chemicals which are in plants can have a greater health benefit than some of the parts, it's not, it might not be a far stretch to say that the synergy of the chemicals in our environment and the stuff that's used on our foods and the stuff that we put in foods, additives, preservatives can't have a synergistic effect to cause harm. Yeah. Or the opposite way. Or the opposite way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's a really nice way of putting it actually, because um, there is so there is lack of information uh, mm -hmm. at a at a population level, and I think there is significant worry amongst people, which is why I get asked about it all the time, um, and not enough answers. Um, 
I know you don't want to talk about it too much. So yeah. <laughs> what I did want to ask so you about is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's two things that cropped up when you when you were talking. One is um, low fat. So yes. those these tribes around mm-hmm. the world were seen to have low fat. How do we define low fat? Because I think some people think low fat is less than ten percent. Other people think low fat is less than twenty five percent of total macro, yeah. of total energy content of your yeah. your food. So that's quite like an. Uh, a very great area and the other thing is um what a healthy plate looks like considering all these different things two right. massive questions sorry. two two <laughs> massive questions yeah. probably come back to yeah, the second yeah. one a little bit so the low fat thing that's been a debate which has gone on in for many years now yeah. right so what is low fat what's defined as low fat and even in the medical literature low fat was considered less than 35% of calories and still is in yeah. some studies and it depends where you are in the world what they consider low fat and not yeah so when, 35%, I mean, that's a huge... Yeah, it's a, it's a massive <laughs> yeah, amount, yeah, right? Yeah. And like less than 20% of calories in some studies, or if you look at um, Dr. Dean Ornish's work, mm. or um, some advocates, I'm blanking on the names now, but some Barnard advocates... Or, uh, yeah, Neil Barnard. Yeah, yeah Dr. Yeah. Neil Barnard, right? So they look at more of an 80-10-10 approach. 80% of your calories come from carbs, 10% from fats, 10% from protein. And they think 10% from fat is low, low fat. So Anything fat, above yeah. that is high or moderate and then high and so it's a really hard thing to say and i think when you're personalizing it to yourself you do have to tinker with these macronutrients and see what suits you Mm, and just to put a personal spin on it like i benefit or i feel i benefit from a higher fat breakfast in the morning Mm. and mainly from monounsaturated fats i use a lot of olive oil if i can eggs um, avocado if I make a smoothie, chia seeds and things like that nature, which is more polyunsaturated. Um, and I feel like my energy levels are more consistent throughout the day if I do that and have carbohydrates later in the day. Yes. Um, but I fare better on a diet which is around 35% calories from fat. I know some of my friends that fare better on 80-10-10. Yeah. Um, but your original question was how do you find, define low fat? And yeah. I don't know if there's a a definition, a specific definition, and I think it depends where you are and what yeah. country you're in yeah, as to yeah. what they define as low fat. Absolutely, and I think personally, I think uh, less than ten percent fat uh, is really low, um, yeah. far too low, uh, and I think there's so much nutrition to be had from good fat sources like nuts and seeds and like good quality olive oils and oils in general, um, and certain animal products as well in in moderate amounts. Um, that we would be risking harm if I think everyone went into that. Um, that's my sort of personal spin on it. Um, but then again, you know, it's hard to argue against some some of the very limited data that people have with 80-10-10, um, yeah. particularly like, you know, Ornish and colleagues and, and stuff like that. So, you know... Caldwell is still staying Yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I think like you have to be quite intuitive about these things and figure out what is best for you um and whether you know that kind of lifestyle is something that suits what you want to eat as well there was a really interesting study looking at um it was specifically looking at weight loss as a primary outcome but they found and on seemingly like four or five different diets and they found those who were more likely to adhere to whatever diet was all lost the same amount of weight and it's so it kind of speaks to the the elephant in the room. If you're more likely to stick to something that is removing all the junk food and increasing your consumption of plant fibers and good quality ingredients, 
you're going to have a good outcome, whatever, whether you measure that by weight loss, whether you measure it by other biomarkers yeah. or, or biometrics, then yeah. Yeah, and that had a beneficial effect on waist-to-hip ratio, uh, blood pressure, other markers of metabolic syndrome. I remember the study, it was like Frank Gardner or something yes, like that. Gardner, yeah, yes, I think it was yeah, Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good study, though. Good study. Yeah, yeah. and then very recently you got the diet fit study, which yeah. is looking at, but that was only two diets: low fat and low fat and high fat or uh, low carb. Yeah, found exactly the same thing. Yeah. It didn't really matter what diet you you follow. Yeah, you're still going to lose weight if you're in a, a caloric restriction or a lower calorie. Absolutely. To your baseline. What I find interesting about your work is that you're trying to combine um, traditional nutrition, um, which is your your background. Uh, medicine and functional health as well. Mm. Functional health is a dirty term in the <laughs> UK, right? Yes. It really is a dirty term. Like, you know, as soon as you say functional medicine, people get their back up straight away because they think yeah. of the vicar heads in the US that they have an issue with. And I can understand both sides of the argument. Yeah. When you're trying to communicate things at a public level using, um, you know, snappy one-liners or like uh, just very short... Uh, uh, digestible bites of information, mm-hmm. it's going to be misinterpreted by some people. So eat real food, for example, yep. can be a very useful term for some people, can be a very, very detrimental term to people who have an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating, right? Yeah. And so, define real, right? So exactly, like, okay. and define real. What is real? You know, uh, ingredients that have less than four, uh, products that have less than four ingredients. Well, yeah, it depends on what the ingredients are and depends on the, you know, nothing that's wrapped in a plastic, you know, those sort of pointers that can be quite helpful for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but actually unhelpful in certain circumstances. So that's me going on a tangent. <laughs> what is your opinion of it? Because I'm sure you've had to deal with this, right? The controversies around functional health. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And there is a lot of controversy around functional medicine. But I think despite... Should we define it, first of all? Functional medicine. Yeah, yeah. Should we do, like, what, what it even means? I think it's finding out the root cause of illness based on, like, if you have a functional problem which is causing uh, your condition. And that's kind of what they're trying to do. And they look at the, the body holistically, holistically, sorry, and also your um, kind of health journey on a timeline. And this includes preconception all the way up to the present day. So... In a doctor's office, I mean, you know this yourself, you get 10 minutes with your patients. Yeah. How often are you sitting down with them and saying, well, did your mother take antibiotics when you were like in yeah. the womb, all right? Yeah. Or like, did you? how many times did you take antibiotics when you were younger? Mm. Um, what were the family issues? You know, things of that nature. Were you, did you move house? Did you travel? Mm. You know, is it possible that you had a parasitic infection or a gut infection or, you know, these kinds of things which you wouldn't normally delve into mm. But it helps paint a broad, bigger picture, especially with conditions which aren't either addressed or aren't solved. I'm using solved, but, you know, yeah. is by the conventional um, medical profession or the conventional model that we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is not to demonize anyone. It's not to say yeah. doctors on the NHS are bad or yeah. functional medicine is bad. Mm-hmm. It's that they all have merit and they all can be utilized together. And integrating those approaches, functional medicine, yeah. doctors, dietitians, nutritionists, nutritional therapists, yeah. all these onto one. 
platform mm -hmm. is the idea of functional health. So that's why I didn't call it functional med info. Yeah, right? yeah, so, functional health info, yeah. yeah. And I, I find that, because um, I've done like um, a few courses now in functional medicine, the AFMCP, and yes. I'm, I'm involved in some of the stuff they're doing in the UK as well. One of the most important uh, takeaways, I think, from, from functional medicine is the timeline. Mm -hmm. So taking a step back out of the situation, instead of focusing on the symptom, figuring out what the patient's journey has been up to to this point here. Yes. And when you do that, honestly, the insights you gain are phenomenal. I had a patient um, recently who had uh, autoimmune condition, um, diagnosed 32, she's 36 now, um, and everyone's focusing on the AI condition, right? What happened from 32 years onward? Whereas actually, if you take a proper history and take a step back, you realize there were psychological issues before, a whole bunch of different uh, antibiotics that she was using, mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other potential triggers genetically in the family history. So there's lots of explanation as to why this might have happened to that person. A skeptic might say, well, so what? The, the issue is that she has this issue right now, and that's what we need to treat. The positive aspect of it is you're giving that patient a lot more understanding of why this is happening to them. That alone is very powerful. Second of all, it gives you some insights into how you potentially manage this issue and potentially not always reverse it, definitely not, but certainly improve the outcomes so that we rely less on medicines alone. And when I say medicines, I mean pharmaceutical medicines or surgical interventions. So I think, uh, you know, f for all the bad press it's had, functional medicine de definitely has... Um, a place in in just general healthcare, and I, you know, I think you know the definition of nutrition being over here, food being over here, functional medicine being here, traditional medicine being there. You know, it it should all come under the umbrella of medicine, really, because yeah. what is medicine? It's the treatment and prevention of ill health. Yes, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. <laughs> I couldn't, I really couldn't agree more. And, and when you were saying the timeline, like these um, symptoms would have started when she was thirty two. But there might have been biomarkers years and years before that, right, which weren't tested for. So understanding when this condition might have started might allow us a greater understanding and how to prevent these conditions in the first place. And also understanding who's susceptible to them, yeah. um, which I think is hugely important as well. Absolutely. And that collaborative approach, so you, you, you're starting with functional health info yeah. at the moment. What does that project look like at the moment and what do you aspire it to be in the future? Okay, great. So thank you very much for asking. No so one element of it is the podcast. Right. And the idea of the podcast really is to share information from different health professionals from all different backgrounds. So I've had chefs on there, doctors, nutritionists, personal trainers, fitness models, even talking about body dysmorphia, mm. things of that nature. Um, as well as chiropractor, a guy called Dr. Tom O'Brien from the US, who, who's on one of the, he's an uh, instructor on the functional medicine training program, and he was talking about autoimmune conditions. So the idea is getting the, um, the information out there to people that there are different expertise in different areas. It's not just doctors that you can go to, which I think is incredibly important. And what I would like to do is develop a platform, almost a, an educational platform, if you will, and it's, it is a signposting thing at, the, at this present time, yeah. where, which I'm developing, where you can know where to learn uh, nutrition, uh, sorry, edu educating you about nutrition, mm. uh, whether where to become a dietitian, nutritional therapy, functional medicine, and other diploma courses as well. 
Um, and it's to really understand people, it doesn't matter what background you, you're from, if you want to learn about these things, they are accessible to you. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where I'm going with that, as well as having articles from different people, a blog by myself, understanding, getting my opinion on the latest research which is out there, yeah. and hopefully developing it further. Right now I'm at the early stages, mm. and I see it going somewhere, but I want to adapt to what the industry needs. Yeah, absolutely. What do you say to the people that suggest functional medicine is all about dairy gluten avoiders and <laughs> those who want to peddle supplements, which is something yeah. that, you know, is a real concern for a lot of people. Yes, and on the absolutely. face of it, a lot of people are like, yeah, these guys are just selling snake oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I think... Because people will argue like, you're giving these guys a platform yes. and all they're trying to do is like, make a quick buck. It's just quite a difficult conversation to have, obviously, but I think, you know, it's important to address this. Yeah. And I think as science communicators, which I certainly see you as one, Rupi, especially with your books, you make complex biological mechanisms understandable for people. I want to give people the information and the complex science. I mean, we have a... We have a thing in healthcare and nutrition where we make the simple complex and the complex incomprehensible. And I really want to make the incomprehensible and the complex stuff simple. So what I'm trying to do is speak to these people, understand what they're doing and share the information with individuals so they can make their own choices of what um, modality um, modality they wish to follow based on all the evidence they have. But they need that information there to make their choice. You know, you don't know what you don't know, Mm. right? And, uh, you know... If you're choosing one, I'm guessing I'm going to use a Bruce Lee quote and you're going to probably hate me for it, right? But there's an idea is that you absorb, (laughs) absorb what's useful, you discard what's useless and you add in what's specifically your own. So when you have all the information there, you can use what's, what applies to you, discard what you think is absolutely rubbish and doesn't apply. If you're thriving off eating dairy and wheat, yeah. then I would suggest you probably don't need to cut out your diet, right? Yeah. Um, and talking about gluten and things, that could be a whole different podcast. But it depends who you speak to. Um, dairy, cutting out dairy and wheat isn't the end all and be all. And um, so as I said, if you're thriving off wheat, you don't need to cut it from your diet. And people get, they read something on the internet and they get overwhelmed. You know, they can look at, well, they know, and people that cut out certain things in the diet, and they might because they've heard that there's anti-nutrients in certain food, right? You've got phytic acid and nuts, seeds and grains, right? And people are like, well, I'm not eating that because I'm not gonna absorb my calcium, my magnesium, my zinc and my iron, right? Or you've got oxalates, which is in leafy greens, and we know leafy greens are really good for you. But if you get fixated on these things, you're going to cut them from your diet. And the same with, um, if you heard of lectins, right? Carbohydrate binding proteins. So they can cause problems for some people, don't get me wrong. And they are in vegetables and certain nightshades, potatoes and things like that. They can cause people to basically have a quick bowel movement or some digestive distress. Mm. And people right now might be thinking, well, Ben's just listed basically everything that I eat and I'm now worried. (laughs) And the good news is it doesn't affect everyone, right? Um, and most of the time, people don't have these sensitivities. Yeah. But what's, what people need to know is be mindful that these things are out there and it's most people aren't affected. Mm. So don't worry if you hear it or you read it. Mm. Just as I said, what Bruce Lee said, discard what's useless, yeah. but take in the information which might be useful to you. So if you're eating an aubergine, 
right? And you're eating aubergine and you're bloated, you've, you're lethargic afterwards, you've got a digestive distress. Well, even though it's got antioxidants in it and vitamins and minerals, maybe that food isn't serving you, right? And that's just all about being intuitive. And when you're saying about functional medicine peddling certain supplements, um, I didn't say that. Okay. Saying was I'm just paraphrasing other people. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I clearly don't believe that. So, yeah, they do cut certain foods out of the diet and certain problem foods. Um, you know, I'll come back to the supplements in a second. But just looking at the certain problem foods, there's six foods which normally are cut out, and it's basically because they find sensitivities for certain people: eggs, nuts, soy, wheat, dairy, and legumes. Right. Now, not to say everyone's going to have a problem with those foods, but you can sometimes pinpoint them. And you said in, I think, I believe it was your first book, mm. that you can go through an elimin elimination diet. Normally, I would normally recommend if you're going to do that, you do it under the supervision of a health professional because you become nutrient deficient if you do it for a long time. Eliminate these foods and add them in one by one. And if you're eliminating dairy, maybe include ghee in first right because it's absent of some of the proteins and carbohydrates that some people could be allergic to then build up to maybe cheese yogurt milk and see how you fare yeah. um, over a few days i'm really glad we talked about this actually because i think a lot of people are scared by the names attached to lectins anti-nutrients yeah. all these different things and actually when you look at it it's not the scary sounding names it's it's there's so many benefits of these said anti-nutrients in your food mm -hmm. when you cook legumes properly you reduce the lectin content and that can actually have a potentially beneficial hormetic effect on your in your body mm -hmm. you know when you consume turmeric for example that's actually causing a mild stress that's actually allowing your body to respond and create resilience yes in the same way when you exercise you're causing mild stresses to actually lead to improved outcomes over a long period of time so i think it's a scary space for people who don't understand the nuance of nutritional science and like what you essentially said there very eloquently it's about intuition it's about finding what works for you and what doesn't work for you and elimination diets i've found in the past can work very well for patients and then gently introducing them back into the diet yes. but they're certainly not for everyone and i know on the converse side loads of people just become scared of food in general mm -hmm. it's a common thing with ibd patients i don't know if you've come across this at all but those who have been told they have to be in a low residue crohn's diet UC. crohn's and uc yeah. and then they realize you know if i eat oats if i eat tomatoes if i eat tom carrots it just makes me go straight away so i can't have that i see it in my store i'm not mm -hmm. digesting it and then what they end up doing is just being on a fast food diet because that's the only thing that they feel that they can consume without having to run to the toilet such a shame. it's terrible isn't it yeah and unfortunately it was the position that was repeated to them by a lot of specialists in the past where we used to believe that you know fast food is all like a low residue diet was the best diet for them because it's going to reduce flares and stuff like that whereas actually it's not not the case at all um and there's only you know i've talked about this uh, on another podcast with dr alan desmond who's um a gastroenterologist who's uh, plant focused and um yeah he uh, we talked a, a bit more at length about that but uh it, it it's quite upsetting to see just how carried away these messages can can be taken by patients i don't know if that's been your experience yourself yeah it you're right in terms of it can be quite scary for people especially when they dive into it and some people can read one article and take it as gospel and i think you've got a lot of very health conscious and people have health anxiety you know they read one thing or 
um, they eat wheat and suddenly they think they're having a reaction yeah. because of the gluten that's in it and yeah. they might not actually be having a reaction to the gluten, it's just an effect because you, you've read that there is possibly a thing of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, exactly. not and just celiac disease. Exactly, classic nocebo effect. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, and it's something to be really conscious of. And a lot of these things could be psychologically mediated. If you're, because I'm gonna go back to this, if you're healthy, and you're feeling healthy from the foods that you're eating and you're eating nutrients, um, a nutrient-rich diet, nutrient-dense foods, variety, stuff that's in your book, Rupi, and that's you're feeling good. You cut some of them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually but, tackled gluten in my first book, actually. Yes, and I, do you remember that? Yeah, and it, it was kind of, it was quite hard at the time because I think there's a lot of people who follow me who are staunch anti-gluten right mm -hmm. they just everyone should be out of gluten whatever and i can and i basically try to take an approach that appreciated what might be going on with gluten yeah. and what what may be the overstated disadvantages of having gluten in your diet and it's you know now it's extending to like we were saying everything from lectins to you could I could say something positive about an ingredient and something negative about an ingredient. Every single ingredient, like you just yeah. said, right? Anything you can, I can pick out something that's going to be detrimental to someone mm -hmm. and positive about it for the majority of people. Yeah. Um, so at least people in a position where they have to be a lot more intuitive. And I was going to ask you that actually, how do people become more intuitive about what they're eating, whether it's going to be beneficial to them? You alluded to it earlier, so I'm yeah. sorry if I'm getting you to repeat yourself, but no, it's okay. Um, in terms of intuitive of eating one thing which I find is really useful but again you can't go too deep into it is just a food diary so if you're really struggling with bloating lethargy maybe you've got some brain fog meals after certain meals like if you're eating lunch and you've had I'm not talking about eating a massive meal and feeling knackered afterwards because yeah. if you do that you've turned on your parasympathetic nervous system the rest and digest response all the blood's going to your stomach to digest it that's why you're feeling tired yeah. Yeah. right if you've eaten eating a light meal, let's say you've had, I mean, one egg, right? You've had one boiled egg and you feel really bloated, right? That's probably not agreeing with you, right? There could be other things going on there, so I'd say monitor it over time. But if you keep a food diary, you might notice that certain foods are causing a trigger in you. And that's something which is really easy. We've touched upon an elimination diet, which I think is really useful if people aren't finding the answer themselves. Yeah. Right. So if you can't pinpoint a certain food, maybe it's a couple of them. You do need to eliminate a few things. Yeah, with support, I think, ideally. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's a, a nutritionist, a dietitian, or indeed a doctor who's trained in culinary medicine or nutrition. Um, and then the third thing would be... Um, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask about um, supplementation and yes. multivitamins, right? Yeah. Given that we're talking about dairy and gluten and how all functional medicine <laughs> practitioners are just trying to peddle these weird elimination diets that yeah. cause nutritional deficiencies. Let's go on with supplements, which is where they make the money. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so supplementation, good, bad, whereas the... Um, where is the utility and where is the science basis for it, yeah. I, I agree with you in that it should be a food first approach, basically always. If you can get most of your nutrients from food, then that's what you should do. Not only because when you ex try and extract vitamins and minerals from food and you try and take them in capsule form, if you're trying to extract everything from food, not only is that near impossible, 
it's very expensive, right? So you're looking at a cost-effective approach, just eat your vegetables mainly. But there are certain people which may be prone to nutrient deficiencies, which they should definitely take. And vegans, for example, are prone to zinc deficiency, um, iron and B12, primarily in vitamin D. So they should definitely supplement. When we're talking about certain conditions, when you're talking about functional medicine and people think they just peddle supplements, they can be useful as nutraceuticals. So as in, we use pharmaceuticals in certain doses for a certain response, right? You can use nutraceuticals in a certain way under supervision by a health professional professional that's been trained to know that, right? So there's certain um, herbs, medicinal herbs, etc., which can be used for a whole range of different things. You know, allicin, um, which is a substance found in garlic, can be used to treat uh, dysbiosis, is where the microbiome becomes overgrown with certain bacteria which aren't beneficial for you. Um, and there's other elements of it like that. Some of them have uses. Some of them, you know, it's been touted that it just causes expensive urine, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I think we need to be cognizant of as well. Yeah. If you feel that you don't need them, then I don't reckon taking them is is uh, going to be useful to you however but when you look at it it has it got potential to cause benefit and if the answer is yes then you look at has it got potential to cause harm yeah. and if the answer is no well if you want to take that then it's not going to cause you harm and it could have some benefit to you then maybe that's fine but I always look like a hippocratic oath first do no harm right and that's how everyone should see it. You don't want to take a supplement which may cause you harm, but also might cause you benefit. Yeah. You want to make sure that it has a possible benefit for you. Exactly, yeah. And I think the science, unfortunately, isn't there because we rely on these big studies looking at uh, huge numbers of people being mm -hmm. supplemented, you know, a high amount of a particular vitamin, like the yes. ACE trials, for example, and how it actually showed that it can increase the incidence of cancers if you have precancerous lesions. Um, all those who are smokers and taking high dose vitamins, yeah, you know, vitamin can be a, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you know it can be quite scary out there, and I, mm -hmm. and I think a blanket sort of approach to supplementation is just not the way forward. And it's yeah. about you know making sure that you're working with a practitioner who can actually give you uh, some proper educated insight uh, into it, which unfortunately sounds like a bit of a shaky science, right? It yeah. sounds like it's very, you know nonchalant um but i'm believing you know what sackler said in 96 or that that famous paper of the the evidence-based medicine being clinical autonomy as well as evidence-based as well as patient choice it's yes. that venn diagram we have in the middle that is what evidence-based medicine really is yeah. um and i think we almost sort of lean way too much more towards the data side uh, which although it's very important it holds equal weight to the other um uh, segments of that mm -hmm. absolutely i mean people have different diets so they're going to be different in, uh, deficient in different nutrients or possibly deficient in different nutrients so when we look at um randomized clinical control trials looking at does this supplement affect everyone well maybe it doesn't because maybe some people are deficient maybe some people have too much of that certain vitamin or nutrient and maybe some people are somewhere in between maybe they just hit adequate um so yeah, it's really hard to test for. And I think you need to take the right supplement um, at the right dose at the right time for the right reason. And you were exactly right. It needs to be under the supervision of a health professional. Absolutely. Can't. It's not a willy-nilly thing. <laughs> <not> willy -nilly. <laughs> 
So what's in the future for you, Ben? Like uh, you've got your functional health info website, you're working with some collaborators to create some great content, you've got your podcast going on. Where do you see the future of this? I really want to expand the website because right now it's a bit of a skeleton. So I want to fill it with as much content as humanly possible with articles which give people information. And as I said before, um, really empower people to make their own decision about diets and foods, etc., with all the science which is out there. Because mm-hmm. I said, you know, right now some of the science can be very complex and almost incomprehensible and makes people scared mm-hmm. for certain, certain reasons and causes health anxiety. Mm-hmm. I want to break that down, make it digestible for people so they can use it for themselves. And I think, you know, Culinary Medicine UK and the Doctor's Kitchen does that as well. And there's a few other people out there which I would highly recommend that other people look at. Dale Pinnock is one of them in terms of looking at what nutrients are in food. Um, And yes, I just want to work collaboratively with these people and go from there. What an awesome chat with Ben Atkinson. I really, really do respect him because he's actually trying to bring a more collaborative approach to sometimes what can be perceived as people working in individual silos. There are actually a lot of benefits behind taking a functional approach, whether that be a timeline, whether it be looking at the root cause. All of these different ways of treating people have their merit. It just depends on whether they're right for the person. I think to summarise the conversation, being intuitive to what diet or way of eating, I prefer to say, serves you best. I think it's, um, it, it's a very personal thing. Being aware of the nocebo effect, so a perception that something is doing you harm when actually it's not. And also the pros and cons of things like elimination diets or the messaging around eat real food. Please follow Ben at Functional Health Info on Instagram and functionalhealthinfo.com. He also has a podcast, the Functional Health Podcast. And please check out the website, thedoctorskitchen.com, where you can find all of these show notes plus more. And the subscription to the weekly newsletter that gives you science-based recipes plus all the latest news around healthcare and how to live the healthiest, happiest life. Give this podcast a five-star review if you found it helpful. It really does help spread the message and I'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.